0: Um, if you're just joining us uh, for the first time uh, this Lent, uh, we've been walking through a homily series. Um, and if you might have come once or twice or something kind of sporadically throughout this course of this Lent, um, what I want to do to to drive home today, which is the culmination of five weeks of preaching, right? Um, I want to give us a, a quick kind of survey course of the first four weeks, just so we're all on the same page, so that today, as we break open this final piece and particular as it associates to the passion that we just heard, um, that it can really drive home today's lesson, today's teaching, um, today's homily. My, as, as we've been kind of going through Lent, my, my prayer has been kind of leading on, leaning on today. Um, my, my prayer has been that you, that every one of us in this church after today would never receive the Eucharist the same way as we had in the past. That in a, in a particular and profound way that we would come to understand and know where the Eucharist, the teaching of the Eucharist comes from, what it is that we're actually entering into in such a profound way that when we come up to receive communion, it would not be the same way as what we had in the past. That we, re- we would receive with a new sense of reverence and a new sense of understanding of what it is that we come here to celebrate. Our first week was, uh, we, we basically said that we broke up in worship. And we said that God is the one who determines how we worship God, not us, right? We can pray in many different ways, but our true communal worship is determined by God, not by us. Our second week, well, how does God ask us to worship? Well, he asks us to worship through sacrifice. Um, he, he asked for this throughout the Old Testament that sacrifice be the means by which he's worshipped, and to have a sacrifice, we broke open, that there are four elements you need for a sacrifice. First thing you need is something to offer, something to be sacrificed, an offering. You need someone to offer the sacrifice, a priest. You need a place to offer the sacrifice, which is an altar, and you need to consume the sacrifice. That The sacrifice is not finished until it is consumed, either by eating or by burning. Right? So, we're all on the same page. We know what worship is. We know what sacrifice is. Well, then a the particular sacrifice that God had asked us in week three, we broke open the Passover. That is the first, first one. It's kind of the, uh, the tip of the spirit. It's the first kind of sacrifice that God ever asked of his people. And it was because in, in Egypt, they were enslaved to the Egyptians. Um, and they, they had all of these burdens thrown on them, they couldn't worship their God, and God said, I'm going to free you, and then the, the way in which we're going to free you from the Egyptians is that I'm going to ask you to offer sacrifice. After you sacrifice a lamb, you're going to take that blood of the lamb, you're going to put it on your doorpost and on your lintel of your house, um, and then the Spirit of God when it comes through for the tenth plague is going to pass over your house. That's where we get the term Passover. And then God said, not only do I want you to do this while you're in Egypt in slavery, but I want you to memorialize this practice every year, forever. So it's not going to be for a year later, it's not going to be 10 years later, 100 years, 1,000 years. I want you to do this forever, and it's a memorial where I make present in the present moment something that happened in the past. So when they would come to the Passover a year, two years, ten years later, the people that were coming to the Passover, they were back memorializing, making present in the present moment, the slavery, the sacrifice that happened in the past. They made it present today. In week four, last week, um, 1,800 years passed between the first Passover and Jesus' time. And in that 1800 years the the Passover had kind of developed into this kind of twofold approach. There was kind of two elements that took place. One was at the temple with the sacrifice of the lamb and we we broke open exactly what that looked like where they would bring a lamb, they would cut the throat, they would catch the blood, they would pour the blood on the altar, all those kind of things. Very, very PETA friendly, right? Very, very, you know, clean and nice, not at all. Um, So that was going on in the temple. But then at home, there was the meal. And the Passover meal took place. And there was a kind of a a structure to that meal, and it was structured around four cups of wine. And this is why we know that the Israelites and the Jews are somewhere the the ancestors to the Cajuns. Because if you want a good time, we're going to make sure we have a bunch of wine, right? But wine is a sign of covenant. Well, in today, what we're going to do is, we're going to look at how it is that Jesus takes the element of the meal and the element of the sacrifice and brings them together, particularly in the passion that we just heard. And it's the most fitting time to do that because, brothers and sisters, we are entering into the holiest time of year, aptly named Holy Week. And we're going to be able to memorialize, make present in the present moment again, what happened in the past this year as we come to these feasts of Holy Week. So, let's look, at, let's look at those four cups of wine. Right? Let's look at the, the, the structure of the Passover meal. Well, the first cup was the cup of sanctification. And that cup kind of set, said, okay, this... This meal that we're entering into is different than any other meal we're going to enter into this year. Right? Now, one note. Um, This is something that they did every year. This is something that every person that that was a Jew knew and recognized and was familiar with. So they knew what the father of the house, the person that was kind of ministering over the meal, they knew what he was supposed to say and when he was supposed to say it and how it was supposed to look and how it was supposed to operate and we know how this works, right? Like, try this out with me. The Lord be with you. Say it aloud. Uh, you, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Right? We know what the words are supposed to be and when they're supposed to be. Today, we started Mass in the back with blessing the palms. And we, I, I'm not going to lie, it was kind of awkward because people are like, okay, do I stand now? Do I sit now? Is this whenever we're supposed to do? Because we changed the script. We changed something about the Mass. And all of a sudden, everybody got a little bit unsettled, right? but what happens is is that with the Passover the Passover belongs to God does not belong to man God is the one that dictates how we're supposed to worship Him not us so you don't mess with the script of the Passover meal and they know what they're supposed to say and when they're supposed to say it and how they're supposed to say it so when they entered into the Passover meal they came to this first cup the cup of sanctification which was the one that kind of set this meal apart from every other meal they're going to have throughout the course of the year After they would have that meal, after they would have that that cup of wine, then they would go into the second part, which was the memorial or the remembering of the Exodus. And the story of the Exodus would be told and how they were saved and they were in slavery in Egypt and the plagues and the Red Sea and da-da-da-da-da and on and on. Then they would have another cup of wine. That was the cup of proclamation. They just proclaimed the word of God. Now... They have the cup of proclamation. Then we get to the third and the fourth cup. And the third and the fourth cup is where we really want to dive in today and kind of focus. Because this is where the drama of what takes place at the Last Supper, this is where it takes place. Because the third cup is supposed to be the cup of blessing. The third cup is is particularly connected and particularly meant to represent The cup of wine, or the cup of blood, the chalice of blood that that the the priest caught in the temple, right? Remember, they would bring the lamb in, they would execute the sacrifice, they would catch the blood in a chalice, and then they would pour that chalice. The priest would pour that chalice on the altar. If you're going to have a sacrifice, you have to have an altar to offer it on. So the third cup is meant to be particularly connected to the cup of the the blood of the Lamb. That same blood that will set you free, that the people knew in the Old Testament, the people knew from the Passover, the blood of the Lamb is what sets you free. And it was called the cup of blessing. And then the final cup, the fourth cup, was the cup of, of, of consummation. The cup that finished the sacrifice the sacrifice is not finished the passover does not count it is not finished unless you drink of the final cup you're not listening to the law if you don't drink the fourth cup so when they get to the third cup this is the place this is where the narrative this is where the words the script of the blessing over the different elements that are on the table the bread the wine. The, the lamb. This is where that script would kind of come into play. And Jesus is with his apostles. He's got 12 apostles with him at the Last Supper. And they're going to have the Passover together. And Jesus is sitting as the, at the head of the table. He's the one ministering over this Passover meal. And the, they, were, they were familiar. They, they knew what was supposed to be said. Some of them probably did this in their own homes at some point. And when it gets to the time, he picks up bread. And the words that Jesus is supposed to say, he's supposed to say, "Blessed are you, O Lord, our King, o, o Lord, our God, King of the Universe, who brings forth bread from the earth, who nourishes the whole world in goodness, with grace, kindness, and compassion. He gives bread to all to all flesh, for His love endures forever. And through His great goodness, we have never lacked, nor will we lack food forever, for the sake of His great name." Now that is supposed to be what the father of the house, the person ministering over the meal, that's supposed to be what he says over the bread. And likewise, there's a script there for over the wine. But he doesn't say that. There There are two possibilities that the apostles would be thinking. Because we read it in our gospel today. Then he took bread said the blessing, broke it, and gave it to them, saying, these are the words that Jesus said, this is my body, which will be given for you. Do this in memory, in memorial of me. And likewise, the cup, this cup, is the new covenant in my blood, which will be shed or poured out for you. There are two things that the apostles could be thinking at that time. Either he got into the wine early and he forgot the words, or he's intentionally changing the script. Now remember, God determines how we worship. The Passover belongs to God. You don't mess with the Passover script. But the apostles know that this Passover belongs to God, that the script belongs to God, and the apostles have been walking with Jesus. They know Jesus. They follow Jesus. In John's Gospel, we hear the story where Jesus gives a hard teaching about the Eucharist that you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood, and everybody walks away except for the apostles. And what do they say? They say, you have the words of everlasting life. Where else will we go? Basically saying, you are God. We've come to believe it and we know it. Where else would we go? And now they find themselves at the Passover. And he's changing the script. But the Passover belongs to God, and you don't change the script, but only God can change the script. So they see that something new is taking place here. There's something different that's happening. Jesus is rewriting the script of the most important meal, the most important sacrifice. That we have as a Jew. When he says, This is my body, this is my blood, what's the only thing that's on the table in front of him that would have had body, that would have been a body, and what's the only thing that's on the table in front of him that would have bled? The lamb. Jesus is saying, I'm the lamb. This is my body. This is my blood. I'm the one to be sacrificed. I'm the lamb. Had he had said it before, I know John the Baptist at some point had pointed out to him and said, behold the lamb of God. Like I said in the past, like, I've called my cousins a lot of things, but I've never looked at any of them and said, behold the lamb of God. I might have called them a something else, like a donkey or something, but I've never called them, I've never said, behold the lamb of God. Right? How has Jesus revealed to us that he was the lamb of God? Well, an aside, bear with me on this. Um, The 14th day of the month of Nisan is whenever they're supposed to find and, and, and kill the lamb. They were supposed to execute the lamb on the 14th day of the month of Nisan, according to Scripture. That was always on a Thursday. They were supposed to procure the lamb, get the lamb, buy their lamb, have their lamb. They were supposed to have the lamb on the 10th day of the month of Nisan. So if the 14th day of the month of Nisan is Thursday... The 13th day was a Wednesday. The 12th day was a Tuesday. The 11th day was a Monday. The 10th day was a Sunday. So why is it that Jesus waited until today, Palm Sunday? The gospel we read at the beginning of Mass in the back of the church. Why was it he waited until Palm Sunday to come into Jerusalem? Because that's when the lambs were being brought in. That's when the lambs that were out in the fields were being brought in by the shepherds into the city of Jerusalem. It's whenever you would have had this mass entrance of lambs coming in through the gates into the city so that they can be sold and then sacrificed. So Jesus, as he's walking intentionally into the city on Palm Sunday, he's walking not only with branches everywhere and his apostles and his posse and his entourage behind him, but he's got a ton of sheep and lambs that are coming in with him as well. And he looks at his apostles and says, you're looking for the lamb, here I am. He also uses the phrase that this blood will be poured out for you. When he's talking about the cup, And that should bring us back to the the temple worship where the blood was being caught in the chalice and the chalice would then be handed off and it would be poured out on an altar. Because if you're going to have a new offering, a lamb, well then we need a new priest to offer the offering. A priest to offer the sacrifice. When the tenth station of the cross, the stripping of Jesus... We hear about it in John's gospel. We hear about it every year at, um, at, at our Good Friday service. And John is the only one that says it, that for their cloak, whenever they stripped Jesus of his garments before they crucified him, that the cloak on the outside, they took it, they divided it amongst the, the soldiers. But his tunic... When they got to his tunic, when he got to his underclothes, when he got to his base layer, what happened was they realized that the tunic was woven from top to bottom and it was seamless. Who is it that wore a seamless tunic that was woven from top to bottom? It was a priestly vestment in the temple. So when Jesus walks the way of the cross, he is wearing a priestly garment. So we have a new lamb. We have a new priest. We have a new victim, a new offering, and we have a new priest to offer it. And this is what Jesus is revealing when he changes the text, when he changes the words of the Passover. Well, Again, you don't mess with the structure of the Passover, and that was the third cup. So what do they do after that? Matthew's Gospel says, they stand up, they sing a hymn, and they left. Now, for us, that might not seem like a big deal. Matthew saw it fit to put it into the gospel, but for us, we might miss it. That would be like me, after we have the consecration, that I say, do this in remembrance of me, and then I just leave. And I go, like, play with my dog or something. You know, like, I'm just bail. You'd be standing here, kind of looking around, like, what, what just happened? Right? Did Father eat some bad Chinese food or something? Like, where's he going? Is he coming back? Somebody would call me, like, hey, you need to finish. You need to consume the sacrifice, so the Passover doesn't count. So the apostles are basically sitting there, like, "Okay, if we're going to do that, where's the fourth cup? When are we going to drink of the fourth cup? What we need to consume and finish the sacrifice. So where is the fourth cup? Well, we heard today that after the Last Supper, that Jesus went over to the Mount of Olives, and it was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he started praying. And he went and he knelt away from his apostles, and he prayed these words. Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Still not my will, but yours be done. There's a lot of images that you can talk about. But if we don't understand the context that Jesus is uh, coming from, if we don't understand the context that the sacrifice is not complete yet, we might miss that this is a cup that he has to drink of. The cup of consummation. The cup that finishes the sacrifice. Well, after he's arrested, beaten, walks the way of the cross, gets to the place of Calvary, the altar of the cross, He's crucified. From the cross, we hear in John's gospel, he makes sure to take care of his mama, like a good son would do. Talks to John, talks to Mary. And this is what we read. After this, aware that everything was now finished, in order that the scripture, the scripture about the Passover, the scripture that said that we need to offer the Passover forever, forever, we need to drink of the fourth cup. That after this, now that everything was finished, in order that the scripture might be fulfilled, Jesus said, I thirst. Now, Jesus' is on his deathbed, and he's thirsty. I don't think all of a sudden he wanted a nice chip before he, went, before he was going to expire. Like, like Jesus, there, there's something in particular that he's accomplishing. He's doing this with intention that he uses his last two words to say, I thirst. And there was a vessel filled with common wine. Now remember... Whenever they spread the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of the people's homes in Egypt, what did they use? They used a plant called hyssop. It's the only place we hear this plant in the Old Testament. And there was a vessel filled with common wine. Some places you might hear vinegar. Vinegar is only spoiled wine. Same thing. Filled with common wine. So they put a sponge, soaked it in the wine, and, on a, and put it on a spring of hyssop. And put it up to his mouth. It's the fourth cup. And when Jesus had taken the wine, he said, It is finished. Or in Latin, consummatum est. It is consummated. It is consumed. He completes the sacrifice while on the cross. You see, today when we come to Mass, as we come, when we come to every Mass, we come and be, we're able to sit in the graces of Jesus Christ, passion, death, and resurrection, in the passion where Jesus institutes the Eucharist and joins that to Good Friday. We have to recognize that there are two parts, that there's the meal and the sacrifice. And if we only have the sacrifice without the meal, then Good Friday is simply just an execution. But because Jesus was doing something new in a new covenant, with a new sacrifice, with a new lamb, in a new priesthood, on a new altar, that when he was instituting something new, that we were no longer memorializing being slaves in slaves. As a race in Egypt, but instead that he has now made us free from the slavery to sin. That this new covenant's in- enemy was not a Pharaoh, but instead it was the devil and his kingdom. And when we come to Mass, we memorialize, we make present that sacrifice all over again. That when we approach the altar, we're no longer in Raceland. We're in Jerusalem back at the Last Supper, back at Calvary. This is why we have a crucifix in our church to remind us of where we're going when we come to church. So if you've ever wondered why the Catholic Church just doesn't get with the program, why don't we have like a band with a light show? Why can't we get some bigger screens or something? Why can't we have a coffee bar in the back of the church? Because all of that is secondary to the fact that we're here for this sacrifice on Calvary. And that through the celebration of the Mass that, the, pre- that thing, the thing that happened in the past is made present in the present moment and we get to taste of the Eucharist, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. And Holy Thursday and Good Friday are joined as one event. This is why it doesn't matter... <laughs> If it's Father JD, it doesn't matter. If it's Father Bruce, it doesn't matter if it's Father PJ, it doesn't matter if it's Father Benny, it doesn't matter if it's Father Dean, it doesn't matter if it's Father Danny, it doesn't matter if it's Father Deg. it does not matter who the priest is because you're not coming to see me. You're coming to see him, and if we're doing our job, we're bringing you to him. It doesn't matter if the priest is black, brown, yellow, or white. It's him that we're bringing you to. And in a particular way, as we come to this Mass, Jesus Christ is made present again and given to us so that we are able to consume the one sacrifice for all, forever. And it's made present again for you. As I said at the beginning of Mass, My prayer this Lent has been and continues to be that we would never receive the Eucharist the same again. That we would never come to Mass the same again. And that we would recognize that when we come, we're coming for both the sacrifice and the meal. As we come before the Lamb. The early church knew this. The early church in the first centuries of the, of the church where there were very, very few Christians and it was just kind of a cult that was people were trying to kind of stamp out and shut up. They knew this. Because when they would go to Mass, they had to go to Mass in hiding. They had to go to Mass in the catacombs in the graveyards in Rome. And as they were at Mass, sometimes they could hear in the background horses coming and armor swords being pulled out of sheaths, And there was always a constant fear that if they went to Mass, they might not come home. This is why most altars are made of, of marble. For us to remember blood that was shed for people who sacrificed everything just to come to Mass. But they saw that this sacrifice was worth it. is it worth it for you as well I ask myself is it worth it for me if my life was on the line would I would I still be trying to get to mass or would I be complaining about music or <laughs> preaching too long <laughs> this is the place where you and I are invited encounter and meet our God. And that's why when we come up for communion, the only word we can say is when we hear the body of Christ is amen. Because amen means I believe, but amen, it like, just like those martyrs in the past, just like the church in China that's underground now, amen says I believe to the point of death. And I'm willing to put my life on the line for the miraculous bread that I receive. As we come to Mass today, let us approach this altar like we never have before. With reverence and worship and simply in awe as we behold the Lamb of God.